in Captain America Civil War, just take out the fucking airport fight. Oh. <laughs> it's so worthless. <laughs> so goddamn worthless. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. All right, I don't have anything brilliant. I only know as much as you do. According to testimony, the boy looks guilty. Maybe he is. I sat there in court for six days listening while the evidence built up. Everybody sounded so positive. You know, I, I began to get a peculiar feeling about this trial. I mean, nothing is that positive. Hello, everybody. It is Recotopia, episode 42. Wow, 42. I know, 42. Um, and welcome to everyone in the chat from Twitch and YouTube watching us live on a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like mostly Twitch these days, though, to be honest. There's a lot of, like, all of them have that Twitch icon next to them. I don't see many YouTube comments. But mm -hmm. uh, Anyway, chat is lively today. That's good to see. And I'm glad that you guys are here uh, with us today. How are you doing today, Jeremy? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty yeah. good. Had me yeah. a nice uh, coffee this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Sun is currently shining, even though yeah. in 12 hours it will be the opposite of that. That's and, correct. Uh, I'm very excited about these movies uh, we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking about uh, 12 Angry Men for our big recommend. But do you have some small recommends today, Jeremy? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Dude, one of the best things about having my family come for a while <clears throat> is that I get to watch a lot of movies because it's something that my brother's family and my wife and I enjoy together. It's one of mm -hmm. our love languages. Um, <clears throat> and so yeah. I, I have more small recommends than the show has room for. So I'm stopped. Yeah. Uh, but the first one I want to give you is Cyrano. Um, <clears throat> ah. 2021. Ah. Yeah, Peter Dinklage, um, not Jennifer Lawrence, Haley Bennett, um, yeah. Ben, ben Mendelsohn is in this, mm -hmm. um, and it's a musical. Uh, and I'm going to give you the two reasons to watch this movie. Peter Dinklage, if you've mm. seen him in anything, whether it was Elf, Game of Thrones, uh, my d dinner with Hervé, which <laughs> you can't even watch anymore because uh, Warner Brothers just killed it. Um, mm. You've probably seen some great acting, and he yeah. is awesome in this movie. Uh, the other reason to watch it is uh, Joe Wright is your director. Um, mm -hmm. Joe Wright uh, made Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, and that should probably be enough to convince mm -hmm. you that he knows how to shoot some lush-looking scenery. Yeah, um, And he does. There's some great, not super long one-shots. Um, <clears throat> he, But I'm looking him up. To discuss today, he's directed a lot of movies I didn't realize he made, like uh, The Soloist and Hannah. Uh, I knew he made Anna Karenina, which I watched and is lush and beautiful. Uh, the Darkest Hour, I didn't know he made. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the music is the weakest part of this movie. Um, I believe it's adapted from a musical that was on the stage that was adapted from the original story. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's 
not memorable. There's one song at the end that is awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. The three leads in their situation, various situations are all singing um, this song together. It's really good. Every other song is kind of like that dialogue song where mm. he says some notes, but it's not really a singable melody. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and he rhymes occasionally. And uh, halfway through the movie, I was like, why are they singing? Why are they? Mm -hmm. That's not adding anything to this. Then they have that big number at the end that I do think is worthy of being a musical. Um, but watch it for the cinematography and watch it for Peter Dinklage. Um, I would probably give it a B plus. Um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. Most of my family really enjoyed it. Found it engaging. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, so there you go. Cyrano. And where can you watch it, Jeremy? Well, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Um, <clears throat> and that's probably the best place. Uh, but you can also rent it from any of your various streaming places. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I remember when this trailer came out, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't terribly excited about it, but, uh, I got, I've heard a lot of good reviews for it since it came out. So, uh, may have to give this a look for sure. Um, I went on a big, uh, sort of movie theater binge last week, just before Thanksgiving and, uh, tried to get a bunch of movies in before, uh, holidays and everything. Just, uh, get them out of the way, basically. And I which, uh, one of those movies was the Fablemans. I have seen, I, Steven Spielberg is one of those directors that I think I've seen everything he's ever made. Uh, mm -hmm. there's at least every movie he's ever made. I've seen a couple of like TV things that he made too, but, um, uh, Spielberg always sort of like, I, I think, I think it's pretty, uh, easy to say that he's probably my favorite director of all time. I don't know if he's the best director of all time, but he's, I like ET was one of my first like movie experiences, movie theater experiences as a kid. So, and I, you know, like Spielberg movies all the way, all through the, all through time have just sort of like been in my life. So it's just like one of those things I've seen everything he's done, but, uh, I was not expecting much out of this. It, it seems very Oscar Beatty. Uh, and, uh, I was, uh, I was a little worried about it, but, um, but I, I, I really did enjoy this. It took me a bit to get into this, but, uh, the story goes is that, uh, there's a, uh, there's a kid named Sam Fableman who is sort of playing Spielberg as a kid, basically in this movie. Uh, he is taken to the greatest show on earth at the very beginning of this movie. Hmm. Michelle Williams and Paul Dano play as Paul Dano play his, uh, parents, uh, they take him to the greatest show on earth. And then there's, there's in that movie, there's a big, huge train crash sequence that, that, uh, uh, uh electrifies Sam's imagination. And he starts to want to make movies himself. And for Hanukkah, he gets uh, a new train car every day. And he, by the end of it, by the end of Hanukkah, he's got this full set, this full train that's just go that, that with a full track and everything. And he's playing with that train. He loves the train, but he can't get that image from that movie out of his mind. And he wants to start making his own little mini movies and start learning how to do this stuff. So he's the first thing he tries to do is emulate this crash scene, uh, from the greatest show on earth. Um, and, uh, he does that and he's, he's encouraged to continue shooting movies. He's his mom loves this type of stuff. It takes me a while to get into Michelle Williams performance in this for a mm. while too. Uh, cause it's a little bit too much at first. And then it, 
kind of gradually like, okay, okay. I can get, I kind of get what she's going for here. Hmm. Uh, and everything, uh, it's, it's, it's hard at first cause it's a little bit too much, but, um, uh, the Paul Dano, uh, he's always constantly looking for better jobs, better money. Uh, so he moves the family to Arizona and he he's got a business partner played by Seth Rogen who comes along with him. And, uh, in Arizona, this is where teenage Sam starts, uh, starts really learning techniques with his camera and has friends who will help him out and want to shoot movies with him. And, uh, the first thing he shoots is like a Western type of thing. And then the family goes out to, uh, on a camping trip and Sam's like shooting all the stuff at the camping trip. And there's all these interesting things that happen. And, and, uh, and while he's, he's like, he really wants to edit this Western together. His dad's like. I need you to edit that footage from the camping because it's her mom, like um, Michelle Williams mom dies and she feels like, and he feels like making a movie about that camping trip would cheer her up. And so he, Sam doesn't really want to do it at first. He's like, ah, I want to do this Western. This is the thing that I've been trying. This is the thing I've been trying to make this whole time. And he's like, all right, I'll go ahead and do this camping trip thing. And this is the interesting part of the movie. I think this is where the movie starts really grabbing me. I think. Uh, he goes through the footage and he's looking for exciting things in the footage. And he sort of realizes that, uh, his dad's friend, Benny and his mom are a little bit too close. There are some things that are happening in the, in the, in the frame that he didn't realize that he was capturing that they're a little bit too intimate with each other. Uh, they're not kissing or anything like that, but there's obvious sort of palpable attraction and palpable uh something that's maybe extracurricular going on behind mm. the scenes he has to make the decision to edit all of that out because he's making this movie specifically for his mom and uh and he 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 puts this all together and he shows the family this film and i think it's really interesting because it shows you how film can show you the truth and it can also lie to you mm. at the same time and I really do enjoy that aspect because while they're watching that film, everybody's enjoying it except Sam. Sam's sitting there going, man, this is a, this is just a bullshit lie about oh, like how, yeah. you know, basically. And, um, and so he, he starts to, uh, hate his mom. He hates Benny. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, then his dad wants to move again. They have to move. They're moving to California. And, um, and so he just gets better and better at filming. He actually doesn't want to film after a while. He doesn't want to do this anymore uh, after that that uh, camping thing. And uh, But then he's encouraged to continue doing it. And there is a phenomenal cameo at the end of this movie uh, that is probably worth watching the movie alone for. Um mm. A cameo playing uh, a a great cameo of a guy playing a legendary uh, figure in Hollywood, um, mm. and uh, and uh, really really uh, great stuff there. I like I said was not expecting much out of the Fablemans, but I I really really loved it by mm. the end of it. So excellent. Uh, so high recommend there. I have not heard anything but good about this movie, um, mm -hmm. so I'm excited to watch it, even though. I think like you, if you just kind of told me the log line, I'm not sure I would be that interested. 
Um, but because of the feedback I've been hearing, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm willing mm -hmm. to take the ride. Um, <clears throat> mm -hmm. My next small, small recommend mm -hmm. uh, is a documentary on Amazon Prime that came out uh, at the beginning of November called Goodnight Oppie. Um, mm, mm. This is about the Opportunity Mars rover and her sister, uh, Spirit. And while Opportunity lived longer, and I'm sure that's why the title is what it is, the movie is really about both of them until like the last 25 minutes. And that's about when Spirit dies and the rest is about Opportunity. Um, <clears throat> and you know, the plan with these two rovers was, the goal was to try and find evidence of water. Um, and they first find evidence of water, but it was super acidic. Um, mm. And that would not sustain life. They're looking for, I forget what it's called, but they're looking for this, they have this scientific name for this, like natural water or something. Um, mm -hmm. And by the end, they do find evidence of it on Mars. Um, and of course, Opportunity and Spirit were both intended to last for 90 days. Um, and uh, opportunity ended up lasting 15 years, uh, hmm. gathering data um, that we're still using today uh, at NASA. Um, it's a pretty straightforward documentary. I don't think, uh, I think what makes this documentary great is how freaking interesting and fascinating um, these rovers are. And like everything NASA does, the absolute miracle that it worked and landed mm -hmm. and not only survived the 90 days, but 15 goddamn years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's cute. Um, at times there's a lot of footage of like flight command decks from, you know, when they launched it and when it landed. Uh, and then there's interviews today with people that you see younger in these you know, videos from when they were planning and building it. Uh, I would give the main documentary up until the last five minutes, probably a B, B plus, but the last five minutes surges it into an A, A minus for one scene. And it's well after opportunity and it's the launching of Perseverance, the next mm. Mars rover. Mm -hmm. But it shows us the faces of everyone who worked on Oppie that we've been watching this whole movie, watching the launch of Perseverance. And there is so much joy in their eyes. It's palpable mm -hmm. uh, that they have contributed to mankind and, and they took the previous step that now Perseverance can step off from I got goosebumps in the last five minutes watching these people. Mm. It's almost like the end of the Martian where they they're launching another Mars mission and it shows you all the people you've been seeing this yeah, movie and yeah. where they are only right. this is real. And these people uh, that some of them are crying tears of joy at watching this next Rover take off. And it was just, it was really inspiring to me. So it's on Amazon prime. Um, uh, it's only an hour and 45 minutes long. If you like space and science and stuff, I think you'd really dig it. Um, good night, Oppie. It's, uh, those are, yeah, those are fascinating uh, uh, feats of uh, engineering, aren't they? All these different uh, rovers and probes they put out into the, out into the, out into space. Like the Voyager probes shot way back in the 70s. They yeah. still were able to contact those things for uh, very recently. I think they had to shut down Voyager 2 
uh, because it was running out of, you know, uh, I don't know, space fuel or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but they had to shut it down and, uh, they haven't, they haven't, they don't want to turn it back on yet because I, or they can't, I can't remember what exactly is going on with that, but like, uh, they're in theory, they could turn Voyager two, it was shot in 1977, uh, you know, turn it back on and yeah. maybe possibly communicate to it. And it's like, I think it's, it reached beyond our, is it beyond our solar system or bright? I can't remember how yeah, far it goes. One of them There's going to be some pool. people who are pissed off at me about for not knowing that. But anyway, like, yeah, it's, uh, that just to think that these things are just, I mean, they, they work way better than you would ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, you would think they would be just complete like, yeah, this, you wouldn't think those would last for 15 years or even get on the planet in the first place, but there yep. they are. They're doing it. They landed those things on the planet in bubble wrap, basically ginormous, <laughs> a ginormous bubble cube that was bouncy so that it mm -hmm. wouldn't break the shit inside. And then they outfitted it with something to pop the bubbles. And oh, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, it's amazing. Man. Yeah. Um, the other movie, one of the other movies I saw in uh, theaters, uh, this past week was glass onion, mm. um, which, um, you know, will be on Netflix, I believe next month. Um, or will it be this month considering if this is, oh. this podcast will be yeah, it's coming out in December, uh, on Netflix. Um, uh, and I, you know, I told you guys when I, when I watched this, it would be unfair to compare this movie to knives out and say, well, it's not as good as knives out because no, but nothing's going to be like knives out when you watch it. It's going to have to be completely different essentially. Mm. Um, uh, I, uh, the, my only caveat about glass onion is I don't think the characters are written as well as knives out. And that's the only thing that I, that is holding me back from saying, this is just great, but I do like the mystery in this. And I do like the, the setup. Um, and it's basically Edward Norton is this guy who is, uh, uh, about to come out with this product. It's like a, it's like a, a gas or something that can, that, uh, this it's, it's, it's like a gas that can like power a whole bunch of things all at once. I can't remember exactly what the, uh, the, the whole thing was, but, uh, he, uh, is inviting a whole bunch of friends, uh, to his, this mansion. And it's got this big, huge glass onion, uh, uh, thing in it. And it's, he's, he's got obscene wealth, uh, that is, you know, uh, beyond our dreams and everything but he invites all these people first by giving them these puzzles to solve so that they can get the invitation they don't know exactly that's what they're oh, doing it's like first. escape room escape room yeah yep. <laughs> um and uh they uh they they solve these puzzles to get there and uh they get the invitation and um and they come out and uh the the whole point of this is that he is throwing basically what is a murder mystery party, solve his murder. Um, uh, uh, so that, uh, you know, and I don't know what the, the, uh, I can't remember what the other things involved there were, but he's inviting them all out. And, but, uh, one of the, one of the guests played by Janelle Monet, um, is someone who, has a really, really, uh, bad past with Edward Norton. And everybody's wondering how in the world, why in the world she showed up to this thing because they had a huge falling out. And, uh, and so 
also daniel craig coming back as our favorite detective uh he is uh he has he's shown up and edward norton is like how are you here i didn't give you an invite hmm. and uh daniel craig is like i don't know i got a puzzle and it uh, had the invitation and, and like i solved the puzzle and i got the uh, invitation he said something about it had a couple of childlike puzzles in it and whatever and i solved them quickly <laughs> <laughs> like there's a whole section at the very beginning where everybody's like what the fuck do you do with this thing and it's like really hard for all of them and then daniel craig comes in and is like hey, it was just a bunch of childlike puzzles i solved and um and so like uh so this whole thing is is set up to be this big huge murder mystery for uh edward norton um and i hesitate to tell you much more mm. because things after that point start to start to be like surprises that i think you want to know uh not not want to know before you go in um but uh, the 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 cast is phenomenal in this you have kate hudson and you have uh you have Batista and you have, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, Catherine Hahn is in this. There's just like a million freaking people in this. And, uh, I know this is really good radio. I want to make sure I get everybody on this, but, uh, um, so you got, yeah, Janelle Monae. I said all these, uh, Leslie Odom jr. Is in this, Oh, nice. uh, uh, Jessica Henwick is in this. Um, and, uh, so yeah, um but uh they're and they're all they're all got their funny moments in this and everything but i said like you know, like i said just a little bit more character work i think on these because when you go back to knives out think about all the groundwork that's that's being laid for all these characters in this movie and it, it really makes it a lot better but uh anyway it's fun how this movie's told it's a good mystery and daniel craig is great as always so I would highly recommend Glass Onion for those of you who loved Knives Out. Uh, you should like this as well. Nice, uh, Jessica mm -hmm. Henwick uh, trivia. Uh, she turned down Shang Chi to be in Matrix Resurrections. What's that now? She turned down a role in Shang Chi and the Ten Rings. Who did? Uh, Jessica <laughs> so, Henwick. Oh yeah, okay. To be yeah, in yeah. Matrix uh, Resurrections. Yeah, and, I, I spent the whole movie going, "Who is this? I know I've seen her before." And she was, yeah. yeah, she was in Matrix Resurrections. Yes, she um, was. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I think uh, they, yeah, there, there. Somebody mentioned uh, uh, there's a there's a person who does a dong like when the when the clock strikes a certain hour. It is a uh, it is an actor that uh, uh, da that uh, Ryan Johnson uses quite a bit. So, oh, I think I know what you mean. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, right. there you go. All right, we're on to the big recommend. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. The big one. It's a big yeah. one. 12 mm -hmm. Angry Men. Hell yeah. 57. I, I don't think I've ever been happier with a choice I've made for Recotopia Big <laughs> Recommend. Yeah, yeah. I had not seen this movie in maybe... 10 15 years something long. it's been a long time and man is this movie nearly perfect mm -hmm. it's flawless the camera work the performances the it's nearly flawless let's let's jump in 12 angry men starts in the courtroom as we pan along the jury box <clears throat> and then eventually get a shot of the defendant before the jury 
is sent into the jury room. I love the credits, uh, overhead shot of the jury table uh, as the jury eventually starts filing in one by one and going to the water cooler and going over to the windows. And <clears throat> it's a good way to give us um, some context, uh, a little bit of personality for these people while we're still getting the credits out of the way. Uh, <clears throat> and I think most juries would do this, uh, but they decide right out of the gate, let's take a vote and see where everybody stands. Mm -hmm. um, and it's 11 to one uh, guilty to not guilty. Henry Fonda is the only not guilty vote and initially basically suggests he's only voting not guilty because everybody else voted guilty and he thinks they should talk it out a little bit first instead of just oh, i lost my headphones again uh <laughs> instead of just immediately going into you know putting him on the chair because the choice that they're making here will will end with the death penalty mm -hmm. um and it should be noted that all of the jurors are male and white or uh mm -hmm. caucasian and yep. uh the movie is not going to dance around that at all. It is, nope. in fact, a key point, I think, in the movie. Uh, it the is. defendant himself <laughs> is not Caucasian. Um, and I don't believe that, other than the shot of him on the stand, uh, I don't believe that there's ever any spoken evidence of what his race is. No. Uh, the racism is not specific. It's just those people are mm. X or Y. Uh, and it's it's pretty casual racism right out of the gate. More than one person says something along the lines of, well, you can't trust those people or those people are, you know, have a predetermined life path to crime. Uh, <clears throat> and that is an undercurrent uh, throughout most of this deliberation. If there's one flaw in the movie, it's that I wish, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say these words, I wish it would fade to black every now and then so that to, to give me more passage of time because mm -hmm. i think if you just take it at face value you could make the argument this movie isn't takes takes place in real time um yeah but there are indications throughout that it's longer period of time than that and i can't quite get a handle on it it's not terribly important doesn't really impact the film <coughs> There's a lot of uh, baseball discussion early on, which I appreciated and had forgotten about because Chris and I both like baseball. But there is mm -hmm. a shot to the gut of Baltimore fans that I think was unfair of the movie because <laughs> the dude says, do you root for the Yankees? And he says, no, Baltimore. And he says, Baltimore. That's like being hit over the head with a crowbar once a day. Who do they got <laughs> except the good groundskeeper? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's brutal. Um, I felt that very hard. Um, so they start breaking down the witnesses. Um, there are basically um, three witnesses, right? The woman across the street who saw, believe she saw the killing through the windows of the L train moving by. The old man who lives downstairs who heard, the, heard the, somebody yell, I'm going to kill you. Then a body hit the floor. Then he runs to his door in time to see the son from his upstairs neighbor running down the stairs. And then there is the shopkeeper who sold the knife to the defendant on mm -hmm. the night in question. And Henry Fonda starts to chip away at some of these um, <clears throat> witnesses and their stories. The first angle he goes at is the knife. And <clears throat> everyone who believes the kid is guilty is talking about how unique this knife is. It has 
a serrated but curvy blade, and it's a switch knife, um, which are illegal at this point in the movie's uh, mm-hmm. reality. Um, and uh, they even put it on the table very dramatically. And as they're arguing more and more about how unique this knife is, Henry Fonda pulls one out that's identical, flips it open, and slams it on the table. And everybody (laughs) is stunned. And he apparently went out walking. He starts to to tell you that even during the trial, he thought everything was a little bit too tidy and didn't really feel like the defendant's attorney did a terribly good job. Mm -hmm. Um, But he went out walking in the kid's neighborhood the night before this deliberation, as you do. Um, Right went into a store and illegally bought a switch knife that is exactly the same as the murder weapon, which is a pretty big point in the movie. I think that is the first crack for the bulk of the viewing audience. Um, Because if you just take every witness at face value, then the kid's guilty as hell. Mm -hmm. Um, But now there's a question about how unique this knife is. So they do another vote, but Fonda requests it to be secret because... His instincts tell him there may be somebody willing to change their vote, but not do so publicly, which is a little weird because somebody does. And then 30 seconds later tells everybody it was them. And it's the old guy who's sitting next to Fonda, juror number nine. Uh, So now we're at 10 to two guilty to not guilty. And there's a section of the film now that I call the bathroom conversations where uh, Henry Fonda goes into the bathroom and interacts with two of the other jurors. Uh, while everybody's washing their hands or doing their business. Uh, And we really get a little bit more personality here. The movie doesn't tell you any of these guys' names until the very end you get two of them, and by then it doesn't Mm. mean shit. Um, These characters are are who they are because of how they feel, and we get a few backstories here and there. Um, But it's it's these interactions that start to tell you, okay, this guy might eventually go, or this guy's going to be hard to convince. And then... My favorite revelation in the whole movie is the L train noise revelation where Mm -hmm. Henry Fonda, you can see it click as they're all talking about it. And he realizes, wait, the old man would have had to have heard I'm going to kill you when the body hit the floor at the same time the L train was going by. And the L train is almost close enough to touch. He wouldn't be able to hear that. And that Mm -hmm. is everything starts to open up wide at that point. Anything's on the table because you realize he's right. Either the Mm -hmm. lady didn't see it or see it when she said she did, or that man didn't hear what he thinks he heard. <clears throat> so <clears throat> then there's a debate about I'll kill you and how common a phrase that is, uh, which you don't realize is foreshadowing. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just this little debate of like, you know, lots of people say I'll kill you, and they don't really mean it. I said it to my mm-hmm. wife last year or whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> then you just put that aside. They vote again. Somebody else changes. Now not guilty is gain in steam. The next debate. Let's reenact the old man limping his way across his apartment to prove that there's no way he could have gotten to the door in 15 seconds. And now everything is falling apart and people are changing their vote. And then we get old man racist and his rant from (laughs) hell. (laughs) And this is a key, key moment because everyone turns their back on him or walks away from the table by the end of his speech. This is a silent we are not with you in the least on this, you crazy racist bastard. Even the lone holdout later who's clinging to, to guilty turns his back on the racist. And even that is a little bit of foreshadowing because we are going to find out why he wants this kid to be found guilty. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with race. And so old man racist has realized I'm defeated. He goes over to the side table and sits down and 
realizes what a sad sack of shit he is and everybody else goes back to the table immediately and it's freaking awesome mm-hmm. um and then we get the scene where henry fonda goads uh basically the lone holdout guilty vote into saying i'll kill him i'll kill him because the guys are holding him back and henry fonda goes but you don't really mean you'll kill me do you mm-hmm. oh, and it's so satisfying mm-hmm. and so then we're down to 11 to 1 and it's that guy's the lone holdout and he goes on a rant and this is the probably the best meatiest acting moment in the whole film i i think i if i were an actor i think i would want the henry fonda role um <clears throat> he's the protagonist for the most part but this guy he gets this amazing monologue and he nails it and then he looks down at a picture of him and his son and he breaks down and i feel like it's earned um Mm -hmm. and just starts sobbing not guilty not guilty not guilty and you realize Mm -hmm. he's angry at his kid he's not angry at the defendant he's angry at his kid probably angry at himself for not Mm -hmm. having done a better job with his kid and at this point we have a not guilty verdict um two men exchange names outside the courthouse it means nothing the guy's like well see ya walks away mm-hmm. uh and we're done and i have not enjoyed a recotopia recommend as much as this one um mm. i'm so glad that i bought it to watch instead of renting it mm-hmm. um and now i've gone through the whole thing and talked over everybody let's hear what chris has to say on this time through 12 angry men yeah i uh this will be my second time watching this movie i saw it i don't know how many years ago but uh, it is of course, uh, one of your all timers, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you can't overhype how good this is. Uh, the IMDB has this at a 9.0, which is unheard of for most movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will have, I have, I have one qualm about this movie and it's, and it has nothing to do with anything about your enjoyment of this movie. Okay. But the you you i don't think you can just create evidence like henry fonda does in this movie and say all right we're gonna we're gonna quit this guy of this murder because we dreamed up some stuff that wasn't even presented to us at the trial um and uh and and a lot of the stuff that they do is very unscientific like how how long do you think that that train would go past that the go past the window oh maybe 10 to 15 seconds or so and then they're like okay well let's say it's 15 seconds then and like yeah. oh well you, and you that don't know law. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like and and yeah it becomes law but after that they're just like oh well it takes 15 seconds so in that 15 seconds this is what had to happen and so on and so forth uh you can't obviously you can't go out in the middle of a, a trial and go buy a knife and, and, and then come back and present that as evidence to everybody and uh and stuff like that um i don't think though that's the point right. uh necessarily i think the point of the movie is that a lot of times we uh like if we're called to jury duty now i've never been called to jury duty same i uh, I, I, of course I'll go look at my mail today and that's when I'll have a jury duty. That's the way things work. Right. Sure. I, uh, I've said it out loud. Now it's, <laughs> now it's going to happen. Uh, but I've never been to jury duty, but 
the the it's got to be an imposition for a lot of people to sit in on a trial that lasts x amount of days and you got to be away from your family and you gotta you can't do the things that you want to do like you know jack warden at the beginning of this movie is like i want to go to a baseball game and he's yeah. already like let's just call him guilty because everybody else is <laughs> yep and and you know you have all these people who are just ready to say that because they don't want to think through what they have been presented in the in the trial and and it's really kind of a sad state i think even if this movie weren't about creating evidence behind the scenes or whatever i think a lot of times people forget or don't or don't assign any weight to things they do here in trial and they just they just make up their minds too early and 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 because of biases and things like that they're you know they're they're like right yeah he's guilty you know there's no other reason to think about this and you know you got you brought up the racism and you brought up the um yeah the the lee j cobb uh character in this movie has a has a fascinating arc throughout this whole thing he talks about how this is a, a classic damned if you do damned if you don't situation that he doesn't even realize he's contradicting himself with mm. where he says, Oh, I would have beat that out of him early on and a, you know, early on. And so they would not become a criminal, but then he realizes later on that beating something out of somebody, uh, doesn't not make them a criminal. It just, it, you lose your family doing mm. that type of mm. thing. So there's really no, there's the damned if you do, damned if you don't thing, like, you know, uh, that he's not thinking of. Like, he thinks his way is correct. And like, and this other person who he doesn't even know how that guy fathered his son. He doesn't even know how he, uh, right. you know, he doesn't even know how he disciplined his son. There's, there's, you know, all, I, I mean, they, they say the, the father beat him, uh, I guess. There was, there was some beatings going on in there. And then that, that was why he went to kill him. But he he did the same thing with his son and his son isn't a killer. So like, mm -hmm. you know, he just doesn't realize all these different uh, parallels until very end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I do, I, I love all these characters in here. There's a lot of like interesting, uh, uh, people that you've seen over the years. Martin Balsam is playing juror, juror number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's kind of the most neutral of all of them, even though he's guilty for all he's on the guilty train for a long time but he's, it, it doesn't take him long. I think it's like around the point where there's a, it's a nine to three or whatever. That's when they, and then they do the revote. That's when he changes his, his vote to not guilty. And it's pretty simple. Like it's simple as that. Like, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, not guilty at the end. I'm not going to say not guilty at the end here. Um, there's Jack Klugman from the odd couple uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and for some people, Quincy fame um john fiedler who plays uh piglet uh throughout his whole life uh uh the he's the oh, voice wow. of piglet i didn't know uh, that. he's got that voice all the way through he's that guy he talks like this yeah, all okay. the time and um and uh and just like just a just a jack warden yeah jack warden has has been in a million movies and and there's like ed bagley who's ed bagley jr's father isn't this yep. <laughs> like a lot of people that are great and uh i don't know man i don't know sydney lumet this is his first movie was he the guy just commanding all of these great actors to be like to bring their a game or was it henry fonda who produced the movie and yeah. i'm sure everybody wanted to be wanted to do do well for henry fonda as well 
kind of an amazing thing that that they get a first time director to do a movie like this yeah. because it's so there's so much stuff going on um there there's and it's weird to say that there's so much stuff going on it's just a bunch of men talking basically but there's he so shoots much the shit out of it though man yeah he does <laughs> like it's for a first feature either he had really good people behind the scenes which is probably the case but he also probably mm. just had really good instincts there are so many camera movements where we're we're stationary for a few minutes and then somebody gets up and we follow them and then we stay on somebody they walk past and it's just that that camera work is kinetic otherwise it really is just 12 guys in a room talking uh, mm -hmm. the camera work you know amps things up like they do that vote near the end where it's just you just see the hands going up for the vote yeah ah, yeah i like all the camera work choices well <laughs> and other the other the other thing is how they set this uh environment to when you go in to this jury room the first thing the first thing that's kind of innocuous they lock you into this jury room and yep. jack klugman says something to the effect of i didn't even know they locked the jury room so of course they locked the jury room yeah um so they so it it helps you rem it helps remind you that they're in a confined space they have the windows open but it is a hot day uh it and 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 for those of you who have ever been in new york during the summer new york summers just seem hotter than anywhere else because of the buildings and how it all like just sort of like absorbs that heat and everything and there's a moment halfway through you see everybody's all sweating on their on their uh you know that i think uh balsam has like sweat spots just yeah. bleeding through um at one point and then as the as the the temperature changes the rain comes down it's also symbolic of what's going on in the jury room yep. which i think is a, kind of a great touch um the other the other great touch about the rain is the is the fact that jack warden wanted to go to this baseball game and he was about to send somebody to the chair because he just wanted to go to this baseball game and just think if he had done that and then it rains and then and and then maybe you find out later somehow some some way that guy was innocent yeah. and you wanted to go to a fucking ball game and it rained instead and well, you know you just it, you know he even changes his mind only because the odds have tipped and he's just he's still just trying to get it over with to go to the game once he votes not guilty and then he gets called out on it in what i think is a pretty great scene although mm -hmm. that guy should maybe just be happy to have another not guilty vote and like yeah. everybody fights with everybody that's why the 12 angry men title is so perfect they're not all angry all the time but all of them get angry at least once in this movie yeah, yeah. um i love the dude with glasses and how the glasses are what finally breaks him uh where henry fonda or no it's actually the old man talks about having seen the marks on this yeah, witness's yeah. nose that he's only ever seen in people that wear glasses and that guy has been pretty adamantly on the guilty vote side the whole movie but from a logical standpoint the evidence does point to this kid but once he hears this he's like oh i remember that she did have those marks on her nose she does mm. wear glasses I don't think she could have seen what she th says she saw. And the part where the old man breaks down what it's like to be a lonely old man who just wants somebody mm -hmm. to listen to them. Um, <clears throat> I just feel like everybody gets a, an awesome performance moment in this yeah. movie. Every role has something cool to do at some point. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I think for me, this, the, the point of the movie is both, I think, reasonable doubt, not only in a court setting, but about your fellow man. Um, mm. and, and, and yes, the biases we all bring into discussions or judging other people. And <clears throat> some of us, you know, bring race related biases, some of us our own child rearing biases. And I think kind of the movie is saying we this maybe does happen in jury rooms. Mm. Not necessarily the second knife, but the the pacing out of the old man and the chair setting up and timing all of that or the just declaring 15 seconds to be how long the L train takes. I think that probably does happen every now mm -hmm. and then. Yeah. And I think even despite the massive screening processes these days in big cases, I, I still think there are people with biases that slip into jury rooms and that's we're, we're human. We're fallible across the board. Everybody in this movie is fallible, whether it was the little kid who made some dubious choices or everybody on the jury who had to kind of look inward. Um, it's about humanity, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching too big there. No, <clears throat> no, absolutely is. Uh, and by the way, Finn Horror says on this, this is absolutely true. Uh, that's part of the brilliance of the movie. The kid is still the most likely suspect. He did it more, more likely than not. But can you say so beyond a reasonable doubt? That's what the movie sort of saying all the way through. Right. Henry Fonda is even kind of saying that. He's like, yep. I don't even know if I believe him, but... You know, like I, if I was going to trial for my whole life on this whole thing, my, my life is going to be ended. Wouldn't you want to have, wouldn't you want to have all your juries, jurors discuss this, yeah. uh, uh, before figuring that out? And like, yeah, like I'm a, there's almost nothing in here that really says someone else did it, but you also can't just say within a reasonable doubt that nobody, that nobody else could have done it, you know? Right. So like. Um, that is an interesting thing. Like they could have, they could have possibly acquitted a guilty man there, but you know, it's, it's the fact is it wasn't as open and shut as the prosecution made it. And I'm beginning to think that the lawyer this kid had has got to be the worst lawyer of all time. It feels yeah. like Henry Fonda is like, it, it's like, it feels like Henry Fonda is a defense attorney. Like just <laughs> like, he just kind of got. He got, he got thrown into this jury room and, you know, like, you know, and he's like, man, if I was that kid's lawyer, I would have done all of this stuff first. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, and then he went in and like told him what the lawyer, lawyer should have done throughout this whole thing. So anyway, um, yeah, that is another fascinating part of it is that the kid probably is still the one who did it, yeah. but <laughs> you can't really say completely hundred percent. Right. There's not enough evidence to prove it, at least mm -hmm. from what the movie shows us the evidence yeah. is. <clears throat> All right. Mm -hmm. Well, I am dying to know what this week's super secret surprise double feature is. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Okay. Well, there are of course a million different, uh, you know, trial movies that you could put this up against. You could, I, you know, I thought of to kill a mockingbird and mm -hmm. I thought of, uh, time to kill and, uh, Philadelphia and things like that, especially Philadelphia's jury room at the end, which I thought was, a, is a fascinating little scene and where the guy's like, listen, they put this guy that they didn't really trust on their biggest case of all time and blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't believe this shit. So I, I kind of love, I kind of love that, but it, the, you know, the jury isn't as big of a deal, I guess, in these movies, the time to kill they're barely, you don't even see 
you don't even see that jury you just mm. you know it, they you know so it's like it but the jury is important because they buy jake brigance's you know uh uh explanation at the end um so now i'm i'm so i was like now i gotta gotta come up with something a little unconventional on this one uh and i ended up on reservoir dogs Ooh. um first Ooh. off there's a scene at the very beginning of this movie where they're arguing about the about tipping and whether or not uh whether or not it's it's good to tip or not uh and everybody is convinced that you know that they're that uh, you should tip no matter what and except for mr pink who's like who's like i you know wanted to tip for no reason blah 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 it's if the waitresses aren't getting enough money you know here's the smallest violin so on and so forth um and then of course there you know nobody is really convinced but there is a part where tim roth kind of says he's convinced me get me my money back or whatever <laughs> but um but there's that short scene at the beginning but then it's the confined space of all these gangsters trying to figure out who was the one who told the cops on them and why this was going on. So they're going on with all their evidence, their, their gangster evidence of who they think it could be. And it's a bunch of angry men basically in this confined space. And, and I thought this movie would go pretty well with 12 angry men. And so that's what I ended up with on that one. I think that's great. I told Patrick last night I thought you were going to choose Hateful Eight, so I feel like I only barely missed the target with that arrow because it has a lot of the same confined space trying to figure yep. out who did what, and they're both Tarantino. And and Hateful Eight has a and Hateful Eight has a lot to do like has a lot of ten little uh, well, is it, what do we call it these days? It's called it's a, I guess, and then they were, there were none is what I'll yes. call the Agatha Christie. Uh, uh, it has a lot of that in it because the, 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 the whole thing is about judgment mm. and it's about, you know, who's paying for their crimes and so on and so forth. Uh, so yes, hateful eight would actually be a decent one as well too. So I just want to, uh, I ended up I on that predict. One. I want to predict what you, what you I've, <laughs> I've three times I've, I've tried twice with Dyson and once with Patrick and I've been wrong every time mm. I should probably just stop. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what is our homework for next week's show? Young? Okay. Oh man. It's getting, it's kind of getting tougher to come. Not because I can't come up with movies, but there are so many yeah. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, uh, expose the masses to. And one I've been thinking about for a really long time. I'm going to pull the trigger on this one. The last supper from 1996. Um, this one stars Cameron Diaz, Annabeth Gish, Ron Perlman, uh, Courtney B Vance, um, Ron Eldred. Uh, it is about a bunch of liberals who live in the same house who, uh, have a have a person over for dinner bill paxton plays the first guest in this bill paxton is obviously very right-wing person uh who in this movie and uh at some point he becomes a little bit too violent and they accidentally kill him while at dinner and uh and given the things that bill paxton say says in the in the dinner they think hey you know he's right we liberals don't ever fucking do anything when, mm. when it comes down to it, we don't ever take any action. Let's invite a whole bunch of right wing assholes to our, 
to our house and have them have dinner and drink poison wine and kill them one by one. So it's a dark comedy. It is, uh, I don't know how dated it is these days. I mean, it came out in 1996, but I, uh, I'm, I have one, I haven't seen this in forever. And, uh, I remember really loving it when it was out. So, so um, this is a movie that I only watched because you recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I think from what you're sounding like seen it more recently than you. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think it holds up fine. I don't think it's dated at all. Uh, I'm excited mm-hmm. to get back into it. You folks listening can watch it on Tubi right now, which is free with advertising or it's available for rent from two ninety nine to three ninety nine on all of your normal streaming services. I think we have time for a question or two. Yep. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. A question or two. Um, this may have been asked already, but what are movies that would have been better if told from the perspective of someone else in the story? Okay, so I recommended Doctor Strange to on this very podcast. Mm. Uh, having sinned the movie, I would probably not recommend it as much, but... Um, I feel like Dr. Strange two would benefit by being the Scarlet witches movie. Mm. Um, because it's really her character that's going through uh, a lot of things that need to be explored and explain what the fuck is going on with her. Because after WandaVision, I thought that all of her big issues were resolved. Of course they did that one stinger and I wish they just didn't put the fucking stinger in WandaVision. Yep uh that that made it look like okay she's the villain uh she's gonna be a villain in this next one well she was just basically a villain in this and she went worked through all of her problems and now she's the villain again and um and and if there was a movie that i think could have benefited from being from her perspective it would be that one and you could still have dr strange doing all this multiverse stuff and everything and it'd still be fun but i still think it should be her and her character and it should wrap that arc up you know, better and it should be written better for her, uh, in the end. So that's what I'm going with. I, uh, I like that answer. I, uh, this audience knows me too well. Uh, somebody has already said that I was going to say passengers, um, which I'm going to say passengers, uh, Mm -hmm. for one answer, because I feel like if you tell that movie from Jennifer Lawrence's perspective, you are almost obligated to fix the stuff that's wrong with this movie. <laughs> mm. um, if you have her wake up, run into him, start a romance, then find out he woke her up because he was lonely, then I think you can't have the happy ending that we get in this movie if it's yeah, from her absolutely. perspective. I think it turns into almost a revenge thing at that point, um, maybe a thriller. But I also... And I don't want people to take me wrong here because I've expressed this opinion before and people, I think, I don't articulate it very well, but uh, Spider-Man No Way Home distributes its character punch um, to Toby and Andrew as much, if not more, than it does to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And it becomes a movie that is less the third movie in Holland's Spider-Man's trilogy and more... Listen, I've seen this movie probably 10 times at this point because I'm a Spider-Man <laughs> junkie. And even though I didn't enjoy it, there are beats that I love. But mm-hmm. it it feels, I feel like it could have told this movie from Tom's perspective more. 
than you did. But once you decided to bring in Toby and Andrew, you had to make it as much about healing them as it was about Holland. And it loses something for me there, at least when viewed as part of the whole trilogy. So mm -hmm. don't throw yeah. tomatoes at me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's do uh, one more question. Right. What are some scenes that by removing them instantly improve the movie? You ain't gonna like you guys ain't gonna like me on this one. All ah, right, I can't wait. <laughs> um, in Captain America: Civil War, just take out the fucking airport fight. Oh, <laughs> it's so worthless. <laughs> so goddamn worthless. Which points out how worthless the movie itself is. I think. Yeah, because yeah, that is it, the whole point of the movie, but it doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> doesn't it doesn't do anything for us it's 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 like it's like it's one of those things where it's it's kind of fun but that's that's about it they make it seem like it's the big centerpiece of the entire fucking mcu at that point and i'm just like nope didn't do anything for me even when <laughs> ant-man comes out and and does his shit and it's all fun and getting fun and games just don't like it don't like any bit of it don't like any part of it and i especially don't like the fucking uh fight at the end too or cap and iron man fight and bucky's yeah. in the middle and they're throwing fucking discs discs over <laughs> shields and shit everywhere. and like you know it's especially after after tony sees the video of a clearly possessed bucky and it's not bucky himself that's doing the shit with his parents that's what draw, that's what fucking draws his ire god that movie makes me angry so much anyway oh, there you go um i i want to say the batman uh, which is clearly 20, 25 minutes too long. And I know where to take that scalpel. And it's that whole section where John Turturro says, Oh, I didn't kill your dad. It was, or it was this other gangster. And then he goes to Alfred's hospital bed and he's like, this gangster told me he didn't do it. And Alfred's like, <laughs> no, the gangster actually did do it. And then Batman goes back to the gangster. He's like, Alfred said you really did it. And I don't need any of that shit. Movie works fine. You, you have made him the best detective Batman has been in any movie. And then he just starts taking gangster's word for, oh, I'm so angry at this other gangster because gangster yes. A said I should it's be. It's so true. It's so oh. true. So that's my answer to that question. Uh, I yeah. love that movie. I don't need that scene. It's other scenes I don't need, but that, that's the worst section for me. <clears throat> oh, um, man. All right. Well, uh, awesome. I think we ended that with a bang. We can't do any better than that. Better than that shit. Just doing like something. Some controversial takes about some popular <laughs> movies. Um, uh, anyway, uh, glad all of you guys came out again. This is uh, so much fun when you guys on Twitch and YouTube come out on tuesdays to see us yeah. uh talk <clears throat> about movies it's so fun um uh next week is the last supper from 1996 starring cameron diaz ron perlman at all um and uh yeah can't wait to talk about that movie and see what you guys think about that one because that one's that one's kind of an oldie at this point yeah. 1996 kind of an oldie it's not yeah. as old as 1957 but i was 21 yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, all right, well, thank anyway, you, everybody. Um, thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. See ya. There you go. Looking down the stairs. 
a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or CinemaSins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. Rolling, 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 and my ass is swollen. The hunting full Hey. What is up? What is up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I paid to buy this movie because I didn't want to watch it with ads. Mm-hmm. Even though it would have been free to watch it with ads. Right. And I think that was the right choice because it was only four ninety nine, and now I own it forever. Well, until <laughs> Amazon dies. I, I think I've gotten used to that Tubi model because I've been watching so many crappy horror movies on that service, and the commercials are are usually just like well placed for bathroom breaks anyway. So you just you know just go ahead and use that use that as an excuse to go to the bathroom, like the old days when you used to watch TV. Do you have glory days with a Z-E? <laughs> I don't. I do not. <laughs> uh, unless I've messed up the title, that's um, uh, an indie movie with the young Ben Affleck in it. 1995. Mm. Yeah, Ben Affleck, Sam Rockwell, Matthew McConaughey, Matt Damon, Brendan Fraser. Jesus. Leah Remini? Jesus. <clears throat> that's crazy. Alyssa Milano, huh. Frent Stewart. We, I remember Josh and I rented this movie from Home Video Place and did not think it was good. I have many obscure movies, of course. I bought this thing. God, what was that movie called? I've watched this movie and I don't know what it's called. Um, but I, there was a, I was going through Amazon buying some stuff uh, a few weeks ago and this one movie popped up is actually i guess being distributed now by draft house um Alamo draft house yeah i think so oh i think it's the same outfit and um and uh it, the the tie the cover of it said something like you know defies all filmmaking logic and and common sense and everything and i was like all right I'm going to go ahead and buy this for whatever, for whatever reason, just fucking go ahead. And cause I, I'm so curious about this now. Uh, and I popped it in and it's just as bad as all those horror movies I've been seeing on Tubi. Um, and just like it, it is, it is a, a wonder to watch. It's one of these movies. This guy wanted to make a movie back in the seventies. So he started making it in the seventies, didn't get to finish it. And then he had to complete it over the next couple of decades and like oh, found Jesus. ways to put like, you know, like he, I think he had something in the eighties and then something in the nineties shot in there. And he tried to make it all into one film and he couldn't even get the main actress who was in it throughout the whole thing to come <laughs> back because she, cause she got hurt the last time oh, it, no. uh, and, uh, and uh, he wouldn't pay for her insurance. So, <laughs> so he had to like kind of basically write her out of the, the movie because I mean, she's in it up to a point, and then she's there's a manhunt for her, 
but she's kind of never in it the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's so weird, man. But like, I was like, I was sitting there watching this, and I was like, oh, this is this is seventies as fuck. And then there's like a scene where there's like a like cops talking to each other, and you see a calendar in the back that says October nineteen ninety five. Oh, okay. It's called Dangerous Men. Is what nice. it's called. In college, no. I lived in a suite with Josh and four other dudes, and there were three bedrooms and a bathroom. But we put all the beds in one room, the bigger room, and turned the smaller bedrooms into like a TV room and a Nintendo room and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to do bad movie night. And I remember the only mo- the only movies I remember from one particular night are one night we did back to back Candy Stripe Nurses. <laughs> and exterminators of the year three thousand. Uh, I remember that night being awesome. But I don't remember. It had at to all. have been with the titles like that. <laughs> we would just go to there was this home video place literally across the street from campus, and we would mm-hmm. go over there, and I would give that guy free movies at the theater, and he would give us free rentals, and we would just try to find the shittiest movies we could find. Um, <laughs> something to be said for that kind of intentional viewing i think mm-hmm. um, yeah there's a couple of movies on tubi that i haven't quite entirely finished yet i'm going to because i got too far into them to stop they're not good but there was this one i saw that was like from 2007 and it's it looks like it's just shot straight up on video and it has rachel minor and taryn manning in it Oh, wow. And it's called Cult. And um and uh and like uh it's just it, they they're uh, they're like college students and they're researching this cult and Rachel Miner is the daughter of somebody who was in a cult but she doesn't know that she was in the cult. <laughs> and uh and uh and like the, like all these people like all these people including her mom die at the beginning of the movie and and uh, the the guy who runs the cult's like I'm going to come after your daughter next and blah 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 and then um, you know, fast forward to like 20 years later, Rachel Miner is like, like interested in cults all of a sudden because she's in a college, of course. But yeah, it's, it's like a 2.9 on the IMDb. It's really, really bad. And I've got was, 20 minutes left, so I'm going to have to finish it at some point. I was, you said Rachel Miner and I thought, oh, that's the girl from that Harmony Korine movie. Um, maybe it wasn't Harmony Kareem. Maybe it was the other guy that he worked. Larry, with. Clark, uh, Larry Clark, who who did Bully? Yeah, Bully. Uh, yeah, Bully is the so, movie. So I, I googled her, looked her up. She's married to Macaulay Culkin. She was. I don't think oh, anymore. She's not anymore. I don't think anymore. Oh. That was like Google maybe they had a they had a decently long marriage. I think by Hollywood standards, but maybe I, I could be I could be remembering that wrong. But yeah, that she was married to him for a while. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $528 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area in its April 1st, 2024.